the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, the time is 6.01. All the lines open. Give me a call, one 367 Are you guys taking a break on this uh, uh, Easter week? Uh, Resurrection Sunday was yesterday, and uh, we are now on break with our children. Is that what's going on with you? Um, or do you are you ready to call? one 367 one I'd love to hear from you if you got a question, comment, observation about anything that's on your mind. I'm, I'm loving talking about this topic, though, because this is where we live. Deb's commentary and her exhortation was great. What say ye? one 367 Let me go to Mark in San Jose on line number two. Mark, what's your question, comment, or observation? Yesterday was Passover. Can you remember when that happened last? I don't ever remember uh, Passover falling on Easter. Well, you know, the two don't the, the two don't conflate. So you probably want to rearrange the, your statement because Easter is 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 a pagan concept. Pascha uh, is Passover. That's the New Testament phraseology in the Book of Acts. So Passover falling on the same as what we celebrate from the days of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1945 Passovers from his, from, from the cross to today. What are you asserting? <laughs> well, yeah, we know it's a pagan holiday. Of course, Easter, you know, Ishtar comes from, you know, Esther, the famous book of Esther. She was named, you know, Esther, for, you know, the goddess of fertility. You know, that's where you get to the Easter eggs. But, you know, traditionally, we we Christians, we, we that's when we celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate and his resurrection. And, well, we, we celebrate his resurrection around the time of Passover, Nisan thirteen fourteen yeah. of the of the Jewish holiday every year around it, not close to it because they operate on a different calendar system than we do. We are operating out of a Gregorian calendar system, as you know. But uh, I don't think that, that what I'm saying is the, the concept of Easter. I don't even really use the term because that is rooted in paganism, and we need to learn how to get away from that because it that. The pagan holidays have no authority whatsoever. So yeah. what, I, what I was asking you was with regards to um, a chronological calendar or an astronomical calendar, the Jewish calendar and the Gregorian calendar that we are running close, that our holiday runs close to a Jewish, actual Jewish holiday. I don't know if that's happened since the days of Christ up to now, but I don't find it real strange. Is there is there a, a, a particular huh. connotation to you? Well, I mean, think about it. You know, Passover, of course, is the when he died. Right. You know, and we've never had a good man die right. since then. Right. There's never been a good, righteous man. He's the only righteous man there ever was that died. Right. And, you know, in, anyway, I find that yeah, very interesting. You know, God is above all. You know, he's above all. And I believe, you know, we can pray as long as it's not sinful. We, we can pray for anything, we, you know. I mean, it says, the Lord says in Isaiah 45, he says, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and 
concerning the work of my hands. So we can ask him about things to come, right? Because he said we could, and, and Jesus said, you know, ask and it'll be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door, you know, will be opened, right? According to his so will. Can, can we ask for anything? I according mean, we can to ask his will. Him for anything. According to his right? will. No, according to his will. According to his will, yeah. And like some Christians, they, you know, if you if there was a Christian that asked another Christian, you know, would you pray that, you know, I can know when Jesus is coming back? They'd say, no, absolutely not. I won't pray for you because that's the forbidden knowledge. And Jesus said he himself didn't know. So they won't pray for that. But other Christians would say, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you if you, you know, if you want me to pray for you about that. If you really, you know, like if you, if uh, I would personally rather know when he's coming back to have a billion dollars, personally. If you, I, that option will never be presented to me, but I'm just saying, honestly, I I want to know when he's coming back. That's the blessed hope. We're not damned. We'll get to see him. We will begin the redemption of the body forever and be with him. And I, I want to know when he's coming back, personally. You know, And I don't believe it's sinful to ask him for more knowledge, because you know it does say in the prophecies that you know at the time of the end, the uh, wise will, uh, the wise will, I'm on the talk show right now, officer. Okay. All right. Yeah. Listen, right. listen, you can, um, you can talk to the officer. <laughs> you can talk to the officer. I'll talk to you, <laughs> to you later. Thanks for the call. Um, all lines are open. One triple eight. <laughs> Three six seven five. Mark, you are funny. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. The blessed hope. I I do agree with him. I can't lie. I do agree with him that that's gonna solve our problems. Uh, the return of Christ. And in between then and now, are you handling your trials properly? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Are you able to actually deal with this world like Deborah? Um, are you able to triumphantly uh, proclaim that you walk by faith and not by sight? Are you able to, to to say, "I know that He's with me, even when it doesn't feel like He's with me"? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's let's talk real Christianity today, not the light stuff. One triple eight three six seven five three. As I'm waiting for your call, I've got three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You know, I was doing a couple of weeks ago because just you know trying to work through different measures on how to uh, continue to build and grow and mature our own fellowship in Hayward because um, that's that's really what the pastor's job is to do to to build edify. Akademio, rather, building up the house of God and, and therefore strengthening the body of Christ so that we be more effective in our walk with God. <clears throat> Living in our present culture, understanding the uh, the coming and going of peoples and, uh, you know, people traversing in and traversing out. Just the, it's a fascinating thing in Western Christianity, how un um, how uncommitted people are to the ecclesia how uncommitted people are to the mission that Christ called them to, how uncommitted people are to the body in which they say that the spirit of God has baptized them. You know, that first Corinthians chapter 12 says uh, we have all been baptized into one body and a significant and maybe even an alarming portion of professing Christians walk with the notion that they're part of the body of Christ, but are not committed to it, not committed, not serving in it, serving it, 
or serving through it. And so they don't look like Jesus because when Jesus came, guess where he came to? He came straight to the body of believers. He came to the church that was jacked up. He came to the temple that was jacked up. He came to the leaders that was jacked up. And he stayed there until those jacked up leaders killed him. Uh, And the disciples, they started the fellowship that Christ called us to. And guess what they did? They stayed in the church. So I was like, man, fascinated by uh, having been in ministry now for almost 30 years and pastoring for 22 Grace Bible Church. um, Just, um, you know, the different characters and, and, and mindsets of people and how how they don't get it that the work of the ministry is the reason for which you are still alive and you cannot really thrive <clears throat> in your calling before God being disconnected from the body. But as I was working through the material, guess what I ran across? The uh, the statistics on pastors abandoning the, the, the ministry here in, uh, in, in the United States. One statistic says that 1,700 plus pastors leave the ministry every month. 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month. We're talking about trials and the challenges that come with them and and how they are really supposed to strengthen you and develop character in you and therefore hope. Well, what about the pastors? I was thinking about 1,700 pastors dropping out every month. You multiply that by 12 <clears throat> that's 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 mold hundreds uh, of of thousands of pastors over the course of a year path, leaving the ministry and and here are some of the reasons for which they find themselves leaving most pastors are overworked 70% of pastors feel grossly underpaid most pastors feel unprepared Many pastors struggle with depression and discouragement. Know something about that quite significantly. Speaking of families, most pastors' families are negatively impacted. Most pastors are lonely. And then there's the 50% of ministers starting out, which will not last five years. One out of every 10 ministers will actually retire as a minister in some form. And 4,000 new churches begin each year while 7,000 churches are closing every year here in America. 4,000 new churches are starting, 7,000 are closing. Do you know what that means? We are really in a diminishing. 3,000 more churches are collapsing, shutting down every year. What is that about? Now, as you think about it, Let me ask you the question. What is your contribution to the demise or the edification of the church? Are you part of the building up of the church or the tearing down of it, the destroying of it, the dismantling of it, the neglect of it? And I went by the field of the sluggard, and I saw that the field was overgrown with thorns and nettles, and the, and, the, and the wall was broken down therein, says Solomon. And so I'm just asking you, where are you at in God's building? But you know Christ is building his church, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. He's building it. So are you part of the building process, or are you part of the tearing down? Well, the reason why I ask that question is because, I mean, these pastors have gone through the ringer one way or the other to be, to be kicked out that quick. I've been pastoring now for, again, 25 years, almost 30 years, and this is no joke. Ministry is no joke. To get up every day and to teach and preach and counsel and guide and deal with things from the womb to the tomb, 
and family and all of that across the board. There is no, this is no joke. And yet God is gracious in the same way he's gracious to Deb in her affliction. He's gracious to the ministers who keep their eyes on Christ and their heads and their books and their hearts committed to building up the body of Christ. And just just looking at our assembly, we're 21, 22 years old. So we're a young adult church, not an old mature church, a young adult church. And we're just trying to establish a trajectory for the next 10, 15 years to be a real blessing in our Bay Area. But we have to deal with all of these uh, turmoils, all of these trends, all of these uh, character attributes and characteristics of people. People come in and, you know, they come and go. Some are committed. Some are not. Fortunately, we do have a strong, committed uh, body of believers at Grace, but that's not always the case. I know so many churches that are suffering from uh, uncommitted professing Christians, non-committed Christians, problematic Christians, troubled Christians. If you really ever wonder about something for which to pray for, pray for the church. Pray for the leaders in the church, the pastors and the elders. Pray for the church. The enemy wreaks havoc. Like Deb said, we got an enemy. They hate it. They hate us. Sometimes we 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 do ourselves in. One triple eight three six seven five three two. I'm going to come back and when I, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll talk with Dan and David. I've got two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. Okay, we've got two lines open. Give me a call, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you're a first time listener, give me a call, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you were a visitor on Sunday when we had our just magnificent resurrection uh, Sunday service, just full house, packed house, just a lot of visitors, a lot of visitors, and you didn't get a chance to holler at me, but you listened to this program, give me a call. Give me a call. one 367 But I am going to go to line one and talk with my friend Dan in Sonoma. Dan, how are you doing? Thank you. Very fine. Um, before the break, you were making reference to the fact that God has a construction project underway. Yes. And uh, it was strange in the context of over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I had a real head-scratcher going on in my head because mm. I was thinking, I wanted to affirm that God had the right to bring us into judgment. It's the biblical New Testament teaching that uh, the house of God's going to be under judgment and the world's going to be under judgment. Yeah. And the question I was asking myself was, uh, it says that the flesh profits nothing, so then how does God bring us into judgment? And Romans poses the same question. And finally... Uh, about 36 hours later, I was still posing the same question to myself, and it finally came to my mind Sunday, because God would tell us to rely on the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and nobody's going to get out from under that. Um, so I don't know why. Uh, I'm not posing this to be a temptation to anybody, but I was in the context of question, I was wondering how I would answer a skeptic if they asked me that question, and I just wanted to have a, I want, I, I kept thinking, call somebody up and ask, and I said, get the answer from the scriptures. You got, if you have a question, then get the answer under the guidance of the Holy Spirit from the scriptures themselves. Yep. Well, you actually an- answered it, but let's put some some scriptural feet under you, the um, 
the almost paradoxical um, uh, is situation. So First Peter chapter 4 is where you are quoting, Dan, as you already know, but others may not. Judgment will begin first at the household of faith, where Peter, speaking to the scattered saints, the troubled saints, the tried saints, which um, that's the case for believers all throughout time. Um, he's encouraging them how to walk. In fact, First Peter chapter two seventeen is our theme verse at Grace this year. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king, which was the walking orders that Peter gave to the saints um, that he was writing to, not to you know end up getting so caught up in politics, uh, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, etc. But just be calm, work hard, be quiet, um, respect people, and just try to be different than this rabble rousing culture that we live in. And that's that's the kind of hallmark and, and adorning of the gospel that true believers are to leave as a legacy as we're passing through this world. Because Peter already called us, and God already called us. The Hebrew writer called us this. Paul called us this strangers passing through. So this world is not our home. But in the process of passing through, and here's another sort of uh, paradoxical reality, as we're passing through, we don't tear up the world, but build up the church. Now, in that process, we have two things going on, a tearing down by God and a building up by God, obviously, because you know it, Dan and others that are listening know it, that God's been tearing down his church <clears throat> ever since the days of Noah and then building it back up again. And the temple or the tabernacle in the days of Moses, 1480 to 1450 BC, was a paradigm or a model of Christ. And so the tabernacle was torn down in the days of Samuel, as you know, destroyed. Shiloh was destroyed because of rebellion, disobedience, and uncleanness entering into it. But it didn't destroy the elect. The elect were still being built up, and God had always preserved an elect in it, and the elect always worshiped God and and did the work of the ministry and served the folks in Israel and served the folks in Judah. And the, the seed was preserved, and it made its way all the way to Solomon's day. And, and Solomon was ordained by God um, uh, and commissioned by his father David. His father David um, pro- provided the material for Solomon to build the temple, the temple becomes a more formidable representation of Christ and the church, as you would already know. Uh, And Solomon was able to uh, manifest God's glory in a universal way through the temple because people came from all around the world to to behold the Shekinah glory as it dwelt between the cherub on the Ark of the Covenant, which was um, magnificently uh, enhanced by Solomon so that all can know that you can only worship one God and he's found... Uh, in Jerusalem, and he's uh, obtained only by faith, and that through blood shed and propitiation for sin. Uh, and so the tabernacle held uh, the the church, the temple held up for about mm, two hundred and fifty years until around six hundred BC, five hundred BC, five eighty seven BC or so, when Nebuchadnezzar was given commission by God to destroy it again. 
And yet in the destroying of the external temple, Nebuchadnezzar didn't destroy the elect who are the true temple. They were scattered abroad in Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Roman Empire. Hence, the temple is reestablished in about 517 B.C. all the way to 445 B.C. under Zerubbabel and under uh, Joshua, the high priest, and under the supervision of Nehemiah and Ezra. As you know, it's reestablished. The Herodian temple then comes into being as the final restoration temple in the days of Jesus. And you heard what Jesus said in John chapter 2, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. And they thought he was talking about Herod's temple. And yet, in a real sense, he was, Dan, because by AD 70, the temple was destroyed again. And the temple is yet destroyed. But the paradox is that the temple that God is building is the body of Christ. And he's always been building that body from the beginning of time to this very moment. So when we talk about church, we're not talking about a physical edifice. Now, you know that and all that are listening now know that when you talk about a great church or a big church or a little church, the reality is, is that there's only one church. And judgment begins at the household of God first in order to purify as Jesus started out his ministry by going into the temple and purifying the temple as Malachi chapter two and chapter three lays out. And he shall come to his temple, the Lord whom you seek, and he will purge and purify the sons of Levi. And that's what Christ did when he purged the temple of the money changers and the wicked and ungodly merchandisers. He did it twice. He did it at the beginning of his ministry, and he did it at the end of his ministry as a sign of him being the representative of the Father and the Lord of whom the prophet said would come. And then he said in Matthew 16, 18 and 19, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so God is building his church, but at the same time, he's judging his church as well judging all of that which is corrupt, false, and contrary to the will of God, and purging and purifying and sanctifying and building up all of God's uh, elect people so that when he does come, the final brick, the final living stone that Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are, uh, a, uh, you are a spiritual house. You are a, a body of believers called living stones built up into a spiritual house in order that you might show forth the praises of him who has drawn you by his grace and called you to his virtue. That's the paradoxical nature of the church. So the church is constantly suffering, tearing down and building up at the same time. What say ye before I take a break? Well, thank you. Thank you. Blessings, my brother. Seems like you're breaking up. I've got to take a break. David, you hold on. And Jay, you hold on. Uh, I always love hearing from Dan. He always has bright and, and, and thoughtful questions. And I hope you guys got something out of that exhortation. Let me ask you a question. Are you with Christ or are you against him? Are you helping him build or are you in the, on the outside looking at the church saying, aha, aha? Because if, if it's the latter, you're in trouble. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back. The time six thirty three on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me go to line number two and talk with David in San Leandro. David, are you there? Yes. David, what's your question, comment, or observation, young man? Um, there's a boy who was trying to call me a niece, and he said I'm gay and a fruit. And I don't know what that means. Can you tell me what it means? Well, is it at school? 
Oh, it's the Boys and Girls Club? Okay, Boys and Girls Club. Okay. Well, he's not actually being very nice. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, he's I not. I just told me what is gay. Yeah, he, yeah he, he's, he's, he's actually saying that you have a, you act like or want to be with boys. You want to act like a girl and be with boys. That's what he's saying. Well, I'm not that. Well, you and I know that, and God knows that. So what are you going to do about it? Well, the teacher saw it, and then everyone laughed when I was called a fruit. Yeah. And I started to cry and go to, go to the boys' bathroom and start standing there, like, crying and, like, looking at my shoes. Uh-huh. Did, did you get over then, it? Like, yeah, I was over it. Um, yeah, well, you know, when when kids do that, um, that's the part we were talking about in the opening of the our program that in this world we have troubles and you're you're, you're experiencing that when I was growing up, I had a lot of that going on as well. I know what that's like when boys uh, are intimidated by you or just don't like you and they say things about you that are not true. Then you just realize, David, that they are not true, that what he says is not true. And therefore, even though he says it and even though he laughs and others, it does not matter because you know who you are and you know what you believe. And so as long as you know that and God knows that we can get along just fine without people who really don't care to know us for who we really are. All right, man. You you hang in there, little brother. Um, school is tough, but you're going to be all right. And if you ever need to talk any more, just you know, call PJ. I'll be glad to chat with you. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm on my Okay. Actually, I'm actually I actually see you at church. So right. that means that means when I saw you, you were trying to like pretend to push me in the chair. I did. Yeah. Did the chair roll? No. <laughs> All right. I hope to see you again this Sunday, okay? Okay. All right. Take it easy, man. That's my partner, David. I've got a son named David, too, David. So I'm, just, I, I, you know, love you, boy. Love you. You're going to be all right. Let me go to line number three and talk with Jay. I do I kid around with my kids at church. It's just the way it is. We got a bunch of kids that once worship is over with, they just turn into a romper room. The whole church becomes this like massive stadium for running track and doing gymnastics. And maybe David was talking about some of that too. We love that. We we don't want to become, you know, non-children churched. Thank you, Lord, for our children. So Jay, what's going on, man? What's your question, comment, or observation? Okay, uh, Pastor Jesse, thanks so much. And, and uh, no, there's no secrets what happens at church, so it's all exposed on the radio the next day. Yes. Um, okay, so what you said and your comment about the pastors, our pastors, mm-hmm. actually even potentially being lonely mm-hmm. uh, really struck me. Mm-hmm. And um, I just just within the last, uh, say, six months or so, my one of my uh son-in-law has graduated and is now ordained yeah. as an Episcopal uh, vicar, I guess you'd call him. Yeah, priest. But anyways, 
I know, I know what he did when he was the assistant, uh, what it was like when he was the assistant to the vicar and, 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 you know, some of the hair raising stuff that went on. Sure. Um, but when you said that the pastors are potentially lonely, that really struck a chord because I don't know if I've really reached out properly to mine. So I love it. Um, I, 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 I there's, there's a, something on my to-do list. Yeah. Uh, I'm big on to-do lists. Yeah. The next thing though, uh, I, just one one other thing out the pastors is I always say that that's the sec you know, the the presidency of the United States is the second hardest job in the world, and the hardest job is the pastors, mm-hmm. your local pastor, mm-hmm. because yeah. he gets to have everybody comment on his sermon as they go out on a weekly basis, etc. Et not just his sermon, not just his sermon, not just his sermon, Jay. Um, but <laughs> All right. yeah, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate that. I hope a lot of people uh, follow your words. So I'm going I'm to just capitalize on that before we go to the break. One, um, one, one last, co- one last question for you and you can answer it off the air. Okay. Um, all right. So the Jesus Christ superstar, I don't know if you commented on that, but I just needed to, to ask you what, what you think about that whole Thing. I don't know if you watched it last night. I, I wouldn't I have did. watched it. I wouldn't have watched it. I wouldn't have watched it unless my wife had a reason for me to watch it because I just cringe at um, the trivializing of biblical truth and to and to mythologize it and turn it into something that is so contemporaneous without a real radical gospel uh, uh, narrative to it. It is not. I mean, yeah. I didn't even have to see it. I know that he did not deal with what the biblical propositions assert the cross work of Christ is all about. But you can you can take a few seconds to tell me, was it even worth watching? Well, you know, I, as, as a young man, my brother was absolutely in, enamored of that thing. And I heard it because he played it repeatedly and he loved the music. And I and I grew to love the music. Sure. And uh, and last night it was very well done. And I was very impressed with that part of it. Mm-hmm. But. For instance, when supposedly, the, you know, Judas is coming to give Jesus a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane, right. where he has been praying all night long, right. it's actually, they, they, there's a bottle of wine sitting there as if, as if everybody's drunk and was, uh, was had a hangover. Right. And right. I just thought, well, that's, that's not any, there's nothing about that in the Bible. He was praying. The guys couldn't keep their eyes open for a lot of reasons, probably because they just, you know, the disciples couldn't keep their eyes open, but, but Jesus was praying. Yeah. But to have that, <clears throat> that image of that wine bottle there as if, as if that was a part of, part of it really, at, at, at that point, I, I got turned off. I got you. But there was, there was a cross, there was a crucifixion, there was, I, I, that's why I'm confused a little bit, uh, and, I, and I wanted to hear your take on this uh, on this subject. So thank you very much. I all right. appreciate it. Blessings. So I'll touch on that okay. before I got about five minutes before. And by the way, all the lines are open. one 367 I can get a couple of callers before we shut it down tonight. All the lines are open. one 367 I, I really labor. Um, I can tell you what I know from experience. I'm going to come, I'm going to sort of, uh, segue both, uh, from the, um, Jesus Christ superstar element right on into the uh, burden of a pastor. I'm going to tell you what I know from experience. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that ever since I was a Christian, uh, saved 
as a late teenager, moving into my early 20s, and becoming aware of the downgrade effect, which is a term Spurgeon used in the 18th century, about the decline of real Christianity and the decline of the gospel and the decline of, of authentic worship and the decline of, of true zealous missionary work and the decline of Christian character, then um, it's, it's only increased um, since I was 18 years old up to now. It's only increased. It, my heart breaks at the real shallowness of Christianity. I'm just going to be honest with you. Just breaks at the shallowness of it. Uh, my heart breaks at the fact that we don't have a robust commitment to biblical truth, as Second Timothy chapter four puts it. The time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears. That means that they have diseased ears, that their hearts are not washed in the blood, and that their ears are not blood dipped so that they can hear the gospel and it does something for them. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. And we do that significantly in America. We do it significantly. Rarely will you come across a serious Christian. Just rarely will you come across one that's really committed to biblical truth. And I'm not saying that there aren't those out there. They are, obviously. But if they're out there, they actually agree and concur with what I'm saying. For the most part, we have to tolerate a real shallow Christian attitude among friends and family members alike. It's just zeal for Christ is just gone. So um, entertainment is going to always fill that vacuum. So that John Legend who grew up in church and, you know, you know his songs. You know his songs. You know, he'll he'll explicitly have sex and smoke a cigarette afterwards and make millions and millions of dollars off of it. <clears throat> they going to make him Jesus. Well, I'm just not, you know, I, I've learned years ago that uh, you can you can test yourself as to whether or not you're a person of folly because the proverb says um, fools love folly. And if you love folly, then folly is going to Gonna gravitate is gonna gravitate to you, and you're gonna gravitate to it. So I, I I take occasions where I know that there's gonna be a high possibility of of, of uh, blaspheming God and blaspheming Christ, which is the same thing, and blaspheming the Spirit of God and the gospel, and just try not to be a partaker of that evil deed. I just God deliver me from Babylon. You know that's how I, I feel about it. And yet at the same time, those are the same kind of people that we need to be reaching for Christ. But it can't be done by compromise. And those people are emboldened to do that kind of stuff simply because Jesus is not a reality in most people's lives. It's, that's, that is so sad. But going back to the pastors, what pastors have a struggle with is, is seeing the preponderance of their own congregations actually truly saved. Let's say you are the pastor of a congregation of 50 people. I happen to be the pastor of a congregation that's more than 10 times that size. But let's say you are the pastor of a congregation of 50 people. <clears throat> if you got 10 believers in those 50, you're going to have trouble. The other 40 are going to give you hell because they just, they don't mind spiritual things. They just don't. If you press home the gospel, you'll have 10 people praying for you. You have 40 people waiting for your demise. That's what this is talking about, this article about pastors leaving every month to the tune of almost 2,000 pastors every month for 12 months and not being able to make five years because they get in the pulpit with the objective of teaching biblical truth and, and, and the people 
find everything to complain. Your message too long. You're too loud. You're too low. You're too this. You're too that. Criticism. And then it makes its way into your family. Once it gets into your family, then you're really dogged. So, yeah, yeah. And How do you overcome that? I'm going to give you this before I go to break. How do you overcome that? I can tell you how you overcome it. You got to get on your knees. You got to ask for the anointing that Dan was talking about. Dan, here's a tie-in. It's, it's, it's Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, that I'll build my church. And it's that same spirit that <clears throat> Jesus sent back that by which the church is being built. So what happens to the believer? Daily he dies, but daily he rises again. Our outward man perishes, but our inward man is renewed day by day. The Apostle Paul is a perfect model of daily being torn down and yet daily rising up to preach the gospel. And what's the motive? Love. Love for God. Love for Christ. Love for the Spirit. Love for the church. Love for sinners. That's why you keep doing it. Otherwise, just get a regular job because this one doesn't pay much. For legitimate pastors, we're waiting for our reward when Christ comes. I'm going to take a break. All lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Jay, thank you for thinking about going back and hollering at your pastor. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we're back in our final minutes on this program. Let's see here. Um, we were talking about the building of the church. My friend Danit called, and I was just meditating on Revelation chapter five. I'll. I'll close out on this one here for us tonight, where we see the great throne room of God and Christ, the lamb having shed his blood and opened the the seals in chapter six. But in chapter five, here's what it says. Uh, Chapter five, verse five. And one of the elders said unto me, weep not behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, that is living ones, and in the midst of them, the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. That's the son. That's the Lord Jesus as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Now watch this, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So we have this hyperbolic symbolism going on in the book of Revelation, and you cannot understand the book of Revelation unless you submit to that hermeneutical genre. He has seven horns. You never see a lamb with seven horns or a ram with seven horns, but Christ has that. That means that he possesses universal power, and that power of the ruling lamb of God is expressed by the spirit of God and the scope of the spirit of God and his immediate impact is universal. Notice that going out into all the world. And what that means is Christ rules as sovereign Lord over the whole world with the objective of sending, sending the spirit of God represented by the seven eyes into all the earth because the spirit of God is the one who hunts down sinners and calls sinners and quickens sinners and shows them the glories of Christ as John 16 says. And it just happens to be Dan that the seven eyes of the spirit of God is the same language that's used in the book of Zechariah chapter four, verse six and seven that I quoted earlier where it says in verse six, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit saith the Lord. And then it goes on to say, who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? 
You shall become a plain. That is, God shall break down all obstacles and hindrances to the building of the church, although it will come against it. And he shall bring forth the headstone. That is, Zerubbabel historically established the cornerstone for the building of the temple, which would point to the coming of Christ saying grace unto it. In other words, Israel understood the restoration of the temple that was destroyed uh, in Solomon's day or after Solomon's day was restored in the days of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah and, and, uh, and, and others at that time, Haggai, the prophet, etc. That was a grace of God to restore because the temple had to be existing when Christ came to it, according to Malachi. And Zechariah chapter five, uh, 4, verse 9 says, the hand of Zerubbabel, hath laid the foundation of this house and his hand shall also finish it and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent you for who hath despised the day of small things for they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel watch this now with those seven they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the earth and what are the eyes of the Lord but the spirit of God that works everywhere in the world in the behalf of God's will, in the behalf of Christ's rule, in the behalf of the church of the living God, in the behalf of those that fear him, as Chronicles puts it, First Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro behold, on the behalf of those that fear him, for the purpose of preserving God's people, preserving the church, strengthening the church, building the church up while at the same time the church is going through massive persecution so that even though there is judgment taking place at the house of God for those who are elect, for those who are called, for those who are predestined, for those who are born again, for those who are being conformed to the image of Christ, for those who truly love the gospel and love Jesus, uh, all these troubles are doing is making you better. It's not making you bitter. Trouble makes you better. Trouble brings you closer. It doesn't drive you away. Temptations drive you away. Trials bring you closer to Jesus. Troubles give you clarity. Troubles open your eyes. Troubles prioritize your life. Troubles help you establish a value system where you now are doing the will of God from the heart. Trouble comes in order for God to say to you, as he says to Deb, fear not, little flock. I will give you the kingdom. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So trouble comes to draw us near, but trouble comes and trouble goes. But the will of God, And the person of Christ and the spirit of Christ and the body of Christ will be here forever. Kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. Buildings will come and buildings will go. Institutions will come and institutions will go. Heretics will come and heretics will go. False churches will come and false churches will go. False prophets will come and false prophets will go. False Christians will come and false Christians will go. But God's will, God's word, God's work will remain. It's amazing, isn't it? The world is doing everything it can to stop the gospel. And yet it's still spreading. It's still going forth. Even now, many people have been wanting me off the air for years. Look up every Monday. Here I am on the radio every day. Our message gets out around the world every day. It's not because of me. It's because of him. God is the one who sovereignly chooses. He's the one who sovereignly calls. He's the one that sovereignly uses. And you know why? Because he makes a man willing in the day of his power to simply be a mouthpiece for his grace. 
Greatest privilege in the world. And our tenure here in America, you Christians, is small because our brothers and sisters around the world, they're taking some serious hits for Jesus. And you and I, we <clears throat> we cry about bills and we cry about this and we cry about that. But we really don't have any real right to cry. We should be rejoicing. We should be praying. We should be falling on our face and asking God to, to enlarge our hearts that we might run the way of his commandments. That he would inflame our hearts, that he would loose our tongues, illuminate our minds so we can preach the gospel to everyone, to everyone, everywhere, starting in our own homes. This is what we need to be doing, praying for salvation for our loved ones, for our children, our sons, our daughters, our brothers, and our sisters. And then those who um, say to be believers, but we don't see any fruit. Lord, change their heart, change their mind, change their talk, change their attitude, change their walk. Change, Lord, as only you can change. You, you told us that if we look into the perfect law of liberty, we will see the glory of Christ and we will be changed from image to image, even by the glory of God. That's what we want. We want to look like the Lord Jesus, who is the splitting image of the invisible God. That's the promise. So until then, look to Christ, you guys, and Lord willing, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.